One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one stop place for. All things to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Miguel Delaney. Signing him was easy, relatively. But what about managing Messi alongside Neymar and Mbappe? Pochettino's men management is put to the test by his three musketeers. Also, a greasy return to Atleti for Antoine Griezmann. Is he finding out the hard way that you should never return to your previous lover? Unless you're name is Cristiano. And how has Balotelli proved to be such a Turkish delight? So we're talking Super Mario and the taste of European promise. Andy, should we start out with PSG beating Lyon at 2-1? Convincingly? Not sure. That's for you to decide. But nevertheless, the issue here is of Neymar Mbappe and Messi together on the pitch. Did it work? Um, It's a work in progress. Um, It was clearly going to be a a work in progress. And um, the whole fantasy football element of it has has been a little bit underplayed, I think, from the beginning. I I guess because of the whole um, star quality of of, of Messi going to to, to Paris Saint-Germain. There was, for a long time, very little discussion of the fit how it would work and the fact that Paris Saint-Germain have been here before in in, in the recent past the, the, the fact that they've been top heavy that they've um struggled to find balance in since since the signing really of of, of Neymar and you know they've they've looked like a, a, a team of disparate parts in in an occasion that that's something that Thomas Tuchel did a little bit to to, to rectify before he, he went off to Chelsea. Um, but it's something that's very hard, especially for a coach that's sort of team-focused and demanding as Mauricio Pochettino. And as we've said on here before, that's something that he can't do with Messi, Neymar and Mbappe who demand to be played. Now, we heard Lars having a little snigger about how they, they didn't exactly hit the ground running in the Champions League at Club Brugge last week. Now, it looked after that when we were speaking to you guys last week that um, Mbappe wouldn't play this game against Leon because he hurt his foot not once but twice. I, I just wonder if it's a sort of um, signal going forward that they're just going to play these three as much as possible, if there's going to be very little rest and, and rotation. Because Mbappe played this game against Lyon 
as if he was injured for, for most of it, then he obviously provided the moment of real quality that PSG needed in injury time with a brilliant cross for Icardi, um, which led to a fairly undeserved winner. Of course, Neymar had beyond manufactured a penalty equaliser. He committed the foul, <laughs> grabbed, grabbed Malagusto a wrestling match. Around, <laughs> around the neck and, the, and then pulled himself over at, at, at the same time. It, it was, was well done. It, it was <laughs> remarkable. But, but, but the thing is, all this, the brilliance of Mbappe, the craft, if you want to call it that, <laughs> of Neymar was overshadowed by... The, the, the look that Leo Messi gave Mauricio Pochettino on the on the way off, and so much was was made of that. This shows how difficult it's going to be for Pochettino because Pochettino saw him get a little bang on the knee, took him off. You see, what responsible manager is going to leave him on at that point? If he's the coach that leaves him on, and then he gets properly injured, he's in massive trouble. Mm. He takes him off. He gets the glare from Messi. And Messi knows exactly how it's going to look with 36 cameras in the stadium (laughs) and God knows how many photographers. And then it turns out that A, Pochettino explains himself quite calmly um, afterwards, as as is his way. And then in this midweek game against Mets, Messi doesn't play because he's carrying an injury. But where's the apology, Miguel, to Pochettino? I know, I know. Um, Just... um... Zooming out for a second, I must say some of it's actually quite uplifting. I know they've won six out of six, but given the kind of the, the, the grander objectives here, it is quite uplifting that for all their money, for all, given all the huge questions about this whole political project um, and how depressing the messy signing was for all sorts of reasons, right down to a player that pure going mm. down to kind of, the fact he had... So a few choices if he wanted to compete at the top level, all of that. And yet, for all of that, it still doesn't feel like there's actually any sort of football intelligence at the club. Well, I mean, I mean, Maurizio Pochettino was a fountain of football intelligence, but it's kind of the issue. Once again, it feels like the whole thing is just so ill-fitting and put together without thought. So you've got this kind of complete clash between all the some of the already some of the biggest stars in the history of the game in fact given given the kind of the evolution of football over the past 15 years you might even say the biggest of what they mm. are as entity okay ne- neymar hasn't done what pele has done but kind of as a commercial entity he's so huge which puts him which puts him on another plane in terms of personality yeah. and that they and they they've they've matched that with the ultimate project manager who as we've discussed before is probably best suited to um to ba- basically m- working with malleable young players who will run through brick walls with them and press in the way that we've seen the best Pochettino. I mean, like, w- w- when you think of the best Pochettino teams, for me, uh, well, I suppose for everyone, it was that Spurs team from 2016 to 18. I remember, okay, it's only against Watford. Remember after that game, uh, the, the the Watford manager, Kike Sanchez-Flores, going on, they only lost 1-0, but he said it could have been 5 or 6. So we, we, we played animals today. I've, n- I've never had a beating like that. Just for the way, they, they, they just didn't let Watford out. And I, that, and that's the best when I played in Real Madrid when I played Juventus away these are the best Pacino performances and it's basically just impossible to imagine that at this Paris Saint-Germain it's just it, it is and do you know what we'll go back to Messi in a minute but the Pochettino thing's really interesting when you describe how it works best for him and with which players 
he connects best with. Mm. When he was out of work for a longer time than people yeah. remember, actually, he was, he was out of work for, for, for more than a year after leaving Spurs. The job that kept coming up but never seemed financially feasible it was, was Dortmund. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that is a move that that would really work for him, and maybe post PSG because, because they're, they're younger players. As yeah, well. yeah, and, yeah, and their their culture of younger players, so that will go beyond yeah. the current generation. And like, is is Pochettino in because there will be an after PSG at, at some point, and yeah, probably yeah. not in that distant future. Is is this a tricky situation that Pochettino is is in because he's not got the same sort of honours list as, say, Jose oh, yeah, yeah. Mourinho. But financially, he's out of the reach of the yeah, kind of yeah, clubs it's, it's, that connect with him. And, and most of those clubs now, very few of them, or sorry, there's, there's almost a split between them, which is kind of defining this season's Champions League, between the ideology clubs and mm. the kind of, the star vehicles. And the star vehicles, I suppose, is Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, Manchester United. Fully enough, all the clubs he's most linked with <laughs> beyond <laughs> Dortmund. But, but to bring it back to the Messi thing, I think what's, and I kind of what, what kind of links these two together. I mean, what, much play was made when Pochettino met Ferguson in 2016, and you know, there's a you know good relationship there. All the rest of it. If you talk to any young manager who's spoken to Ferguson or any one of the Ferguson's message to any manager is, make sure you've got complete control. If you don't, get out of there. Mm. And like, and this is the opposite of the situation he has. As he, I mean, it's amazing. Like a manager should be and and work so well with complete control as Pochettino. To be in a situation, as you say, where if he leaves Messi's on, he's in trouble. If he takes him off, he's in trouble. It's just, it's almost Kafkaesque. Isn't it very similar, though? The issue, I mean, you mentioned earlier, and it is fascinating to think that Maurizio Pochettino has, um, or is ruled out of the clubs that best suit him. But isn't it the same as... Messi himself, leaving Barcelona. Yeah, I think so. Ruled out of all the clubs that could really benefit from his talents. There's only two or three places he can go to mm. and he's got to fit in there yeah. amongst everything else. And when Messi comes knocking on your door saying, look, here I am, I'm available to play and I'm free, yeah. you've got to take him. You've got to take him. And the same thing for Pochettino. When PSG, after a year on the dole, come knocking and say, look, we've got a vacancy... You've got to take it, even th- it's PSG at the end of yeah. the day, even though you know you haven't got full control. Yeah. And, and, well, the last thing that Paris Saint-Germain needed, though, really is, okay, what, what, what they really want here was kind of profile. That, 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 that's kind of almost the core of this signing, and we can see that's it. That's 100% yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But, but in terms of pure football, the last thing they needed was actually another brilliant attacker who at this point of his career won't really move that much except when it's to kind of Show, showcases quality. There are other teams who have actually done that, even high-pressing teams, but not this Paris Saint-Germain team. And then, for all the profile they get and all the social media benefit, that starts to pale if, as we saw with Juventus and Ronaldo, if you become a little bit of a joke. Uh, and, in, like, there is the slight danger of this happening in, in Europe for, for Paris Saint-Germain, especially if it doesn't click in the way the way we've seen so far. Well, I think maybe joke's a bit strong, but I, th- I think... Dead weight, I, th- I, th- I think, financially, and something that hamstrings the building of a true project, yeah. and and that that is the case. I, I mean, almost, I, th- I don't need Mbappe to, to to go. Of those three, the one that you would want to build around, yeah, yeah. is Mbappe. But in terms of releasing extra funds to actually 
build a proper team because god I can't think of anything that looks harder work than playing central midfield for Paris Saint-Germain because you've got two fullbacks in Hakimi and Nuno Mensch who just want to go they they don't want to defend and in Ligue 1 they're not going to be required to defend a lot of the time but when you get to the back end of the Champions League slightly different story maybe you have to play with three at the back and definitely not with Sergio Ramos because goodness knows how many games he's going to play this season because because he's because he's not fit but and then you've got front three who don't defend. So if you're Ander Herrera, who's looked great so far this season, or Garner Gay, that is a, a lot of hard work. Know, yeah. Well, I mean, what, the one way this Paris Saint-Germain, Paris Saint-Germain might work as a team, basically, if if they signed Kante and put him in front of Verratti, Kante to win everything, Verratti <laughs> to control it, then they can go, because Kante does the work. About, but I mean, it does, I mean... Yeah, I, I, a year playing for PSG would wear him out. Yeah, I'm yeah, say. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even well, Kante. Kante, really? Even Kante. He's got an engine yeah. in him. Yeah. Anyway. I, mean, I, I, like, I do think Pochettino is a better manager than Zidane. All right? And people might be surprised at that because of the, the difference in trophy count. But I suppose it's what you do with your resources uh, or, or, and, and the potential of your football. But if, if, if you give Pochettino the right project, then it goes to really high levels. But I think Zidane might, would probably be better suited to what this is, which is kind of. The, Star whispering, yeah, star whispering, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's such a fascinating subject because sometimes I'm wondering: are we talking business here, or are we talking football? Uh, the line's f- properly blurred. It is, mm. isn't it? Yeah. I yeah. mean, w- when you look at Pochettino and you think of the options that he has, it, you can compare that to the um, the options that Mbappe have has. Because at one point he was there as the main man, or him or Neymar. Yeah. It was one of one of the other. Now he's one of three possible main men for the club who the club could build mm. the next few years around. But the question is, is he? Where is he? Well, that's in the, that, that respect? That's the interesting thing. PSG have not given up on him. Despite the fact he's made it clear he wants to go, despite the fact he's made it clear he doesn't want to sign again, despite the fact he's made it very clear where he wants to go. The reason that Real Madrid were in for paying all that money for a player who just had a year of contract left and they were prepared to go up to 180 million euros. 180 million euros. Let's get our heads around that. Is because they think, or they they thought, certainly... Because he's the future. He's the future, He is. But they thought, if he gets to play with Neymar and Messi for the the year, does he change his mind? Uh, Because they've they've got a year to chip mm. away at him and change his mind. And that has a huge consequence, not just for their future. You could argue for the future of, of European football, you know, and, and, and the balance of power and, and certainly the balance of, yeah. of, of superstars. But like I said, with this little contribution, this little huge contribution that Mbappe makes at the end of this game versus Lyon, it's just a, it's just a little reminder of, actually, I'm the one. I'm the one that you need. But... You look at the start, going back to what we were saying in, in, in that game against Club Brugge, again, Mbappe creates the goal for Andere in that. But really, so far, and it is very early days, he's having to work off scraps because whenever Neymar gets the ball, he wants to give it to his mate. It's true, it's true. Don't you think as well, this is, this is why, even though it's only a group stage game and both will go through, so it won't matter that much in the, in the grand scheme of things, but... Paris Saint-Germain City is so fascinating next week because there's a slight pressure building up in Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah. And it's also the contrast. I mean, they're both similar political projects, but it's always felt like 
City or the Abu Dhabi owners just have more of a kind of an ideology about it. Hence, they've mm. got Guardiola, and it's very much a systems team. Well, they're, they're prepared. There's a whole football structure at City that there's not to the same extent yeah, at yeah, PSG. Yeah, and the owners are happy yeah. to let them but, get on with it. But what's also, which is something that's kind of, I suppose, danced around in this, is maybe how difficult Messi is to manage. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, would the modern? I know, I know, I know. There was a possibility it was going to happen in the last two windows, but. Would the modern Guardiola work with the modern Messi as well? I mean, because when they had, when they're together in between mm. 2009, 2011, or 2012, Messi was perfect for him because he was basically he was a sonic blur of energy. So it just fit into the, the high pressing, and and obviously Messi's just, at that point. Are was, you saying peak. would he do all the things that frustrated Guardiola about Aguero? Yeah, I, I do. I do wonder that, yeah. and, and, and 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 then also how resistant would Messi have been to it? Because uh, because it, it, it's something you've only ever heard hinted at, and. I've I've never quite fully bought into the kind of the little dictator stuff, but evidently, I mean, me, me, Messi. Uh, I mean, he's demanding in his own way. I think you have a very very solid point. And who's going to win out is the question. Is it Pochettino, the manager, that's going to stamp his authority? Particularly when you say this uh, clash is essentially Man City PSG is a clash between Pochettino and Guardiola, isn't it? Mm. Essentially, is um, when the teams are pretty much mm. matched up, uh, player for player, etc. So it it remains to be seen whether Pochettino... It's sounding to me as if Pochettino doesn't have as much uh, room to stamp his authority as Guardiola. Oh, yeah. We basically, Does that make sense? But, but, but City, kind Absolutely. Of, the, the whole structure has been built specifically for basically a manager like Guardiola. Uh, it, it, but, but it's a fit. I mean, uh, for, okay. they had to set the table to get him to come. Yeah, yeah basically. They? And, yeah. and they spent years on doing that. Yeah, Man- yeah. Man- Manchester City. Whereas with Pochettino, it was you're available, you're of a reasonable That's profile. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a subtext of you knowing the club, but you don't know the club as it is now, yeah, yeah. even though you have historical mm. connection with the club. And, and you know, he's he, he's learning on the job and the job has changed since he got there. And I, I, I mean, there is, there is a feeling within football as well, basically, that Pochettino. If, if he wants to succeed, ultimately he has to change, which is which could be quite a jarring process mm. for him, given given how defined his ideas are, how well his ideas work uh, at the, at the right club, but it's at this club. I mean, maybe maybe he will adapt. Uh, you know, he's. I'm I'm not a betting man, but I'm putting a fiver on City. <laughs> Barcelona features again in the next topic that we'll talk about. Antoine Griezmann uh, going back home. You would have thought that he's going back home to his natural home in Spain, Atleti. Uh, they would hang out the bunting for him. It would be glorious. And of course, he'd score a hat trick on his return as uh, Cristiano Ronaldo would. But it didn't quite go like that, did it? Well, there's a few things there, I suppose. Primarily, unlike Cristiano Ronaldo, where he's going back still as Cristiano, the you know one of the greatest players of all time, and to a club where he's absolutely worshipped. Griezmann has had a very difficult time at Barcelona that feels like it's manifestly affected his reputation. He, he goes back where it doesn't feel like he's as effective a player. Now, again, that, that might be because of the system he's playing in Barcelona. And also, I suppose, that Atletico are the champions. They've moved on. They're just not, it's not the same yearning for such a player okay it made a certain logical sense for 
given what Atletico have been as a club and the amount of change over there, given his relationship with Simeone. But, but it almost felt like one of the, given the, it felt like a transfer that happened more because of the current state of Spanish football uh, rather than any sort of football idea. It's, it's an opportunity. It's not a plan. Yeah I, I, yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that because if they'd have, obviously there was the negotiation for him earlier in the summer. If they really think he's coming, they don't sign Cunha. They yeah. don't sign Matias Cunha before because now they've got this striker and Cunha, I think, I think is very talented in the right team. I think, I don't think he's a great fit for Atletico. I can see how he would benefit from Simeone cracking the whip for him. I mean, it'll either be a great success or an absolute disaster, I, I, I think, because of the way that Cunha is or the, the, the way that he's shown himself to, to, to be so far at, at Leipzig and, and, and Hertha, where he was meant to be the superstar and his interest kind of waned. But Griezmann coming back, they always knew Barcelona, there was a possibility of them coming crawling back and saying, look, we need to get this deal done. What are you saying? And that's why it got done so favourably on Atletico's terms because Barcelona needed it to happen. Now, I think it's a a great opportunity to take. We've already assessed the money aspect of it and the fact that Atletico are getting an incredibly good deal for a player who's still a fine player, as he proves time and again for France, who I think has done okay in a situation for Barcelona where, where the table was never set for him, as as you, as you say, Miguel. Um, but I think the, the way it all seemed to go so smoothly from him bossing it with Benzema for France against Finland and then just riding into the training ground at Atleti the, the next day on his, on his, on his white horse getting a haircut in between training and the and the presentation ceremony as if I'm back people but of course that's how what, he should have done it what he hasn't seemed to absorb or what seemed to I, I guess shock a lot of people out, outside of Atletico is he was admired more than loved at Atletico and I think mm, we can over we can well, over- he was always agitating to go as well wasn't he that was at Tabarza well that's that's the thing because uh. I think that's been kind of missed from outside mm. the fact that Atletico fans are not just pissed off at the decision the um, LeBron James style show he made to <laughs> say I'm staying because we know he's obsessed with the NBA I can get on board with that okay and um you know, he did that rather clumsy way of announcing he was staying at Atletico and then less than a year later was negotiating with Barcelona to go in the middle of them being in the Champions League last 16 against Juventus where they were subject to a comeback from Cristiano Ronaldo and, and went out in pretty awful fashion. So clearly the Atletico fans are upset with him about that. But you go back a little further and... I was I was talking about this at the, the the weekend. In his last season at Atletico, there's a game where they're winning one nil at home against a fairly ordinary opposition. I think it's Espanyol or Valladolid, and um, they're one nil up. Uh, Griezmann's running the ball out of defence. He gets to the halfway line, and instead of leading the counter attack, he stops. He holds it up on the halfway line and just wins a throw. And the crowd. Quite agitated. They're like, they're like, come on, we're going to be killing this game. And and Griezmann turns around and does this little Mourinho finger to the lips, shush, 
Really? And, uh, yeah, and yeah. That they mm. were very, very unhappy with that Atletico fans, Gosh, really? and, um, and you can understand why. And because I think we see him as such a symbol of that Atletico side, particularly that re- reached the, the the second Champions League semi final in 2016. Let's remember he wasn't part of the team that won the 2014, yeah, the very yeah. much loved 2014 team. So he's after that. I, and just to cut across for a second, I suppose to illustrate how ferocious, how ferociously emotional Atletico fans feel about this. Courtois, despite his status in that team, he, he, he's had his uh, his little plaque attacked for joining Real Madrid, hasn't it? Yeah, that's, that, that, I mean, that's right. Everyone who's played more than 100 games for Atletico has a little plaque outside the Wanda Metropolitano to try and make it home. And yeah, that's been defaced on a yeah. number of occasions, the, 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 the Courtois one. So clearly, um, Griezmann has sort of... Um, we associate him of this incredible click with Simeone because he's the star player who gives everything, everything. And for that reason, we see him as the embodiment of Simeone on the pitch. Now, really, the embodiment of Simeone on the pitch in that golden era for Atletico mm. is Gabby. It's not Griezmann, despite the despite the talent. We've got but, Diego Costa as well. Now. Well, a different aspect of Simeone, maybe. <laughs> even more evil, <laughs> I, I, I would say. But then you, you look at it and you think of all these little things that build up. Like, for example, you think of when they lost that final in Milan against, in Milan against um, Real Madrid, which they really should have won. And Griezmann misses a penalty mm. in normal time in that. And whereas afterwards... Uh, Juan Fran, who misses yeah. in the shootout, is in bits. Goes up to the fans. Fernando Torres is absolutely inconsolable. And Griezmann goes, well, penalties get missed. It could happen to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's get on with it. Which I think is a very healthy way yeah, of dealing yeah, with yeah, things. Yeah. But it's not the same connection with the fans. And I think there's a connection assumed between Griezmann and Atletico uh, uh, fans that's never really yeah. existed. Do you know, on, a, on a wider sense as well, it's in Gresman's career in that sense. I mean, he he actually more, almost more than anyone tells a little story of kind of Spanish football the way it's gone. One being kind of a part of an Atletico team that were, had to be so defiant against the big two. Yeah, it was broken. Then the way it, it, it actually seems insane now as a transfer, given what 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 is. I mean, of course, we weren't to know a, a pandemic was around the corner, but that summer of 2019, when a player of Griezmann's age goes to Barcelona for that money and given what's happened to Spanish football since obviously COVID influence but already there were kind of forces in place that were going to kind of, like there was trouble coming down the tracks economically for Spanish football I remember speaking to a lot of people around the game even in, two, in the two years before that so for that money to be spent on a player that age and now he goes back and as he goes back what it feels like is the kind of um, the last days of Serie A's glory era where suddenly kind of Milan, Inter and Juve started to do it. Like these players mm. started to go around between them purely because it just kind of it made sense for the clubs and, the, and these were the only player and these were the only other clubs who could afford the wages of these players. And there's a little bit of that with Griezmann as well, where again, it's kind of a, it's a transfer of convenience rather than one that makes kind of any sort of football sense. Yeah, and that, that's it. I think you look at his start at Atletico and you look at them um, not scoring in the Champions League against Porto and not really creating that much. Likewise against Athletic last weekend. This week, he um, plays the first hour against Getafe. Getafe are in absolutely terrible nick at the moment. It doesn't work for him. They take him off and the team drag it out of the fire because 
Luis Suarez drags it out of the fire and, and, and gets them a win. But the click is so bad at the moment. And you think this is a player who's meant to be going home, but mm. th- th- there's been no acknowledgement. A, that they're still trying to get the best out of Joao Felix. The main thing is still to feed Suarez, and it should be because he doesn't just score goals. He scores important goals all the time. He did that last season. He did that again at Getafe during the week. Can he actually be the centre of it again? Because the team have changed the way they've yeah, played yeah. Since, mm. in the couple of years since they left. Because Atletico, as we've talked about time and again on here, are further along in the rebuild than either Real Madrid yeah. or Barcelona. They still, they still feel a very strangely put together team. And even even mm. the way the, kind of, the attacking focus is on someone like Suarez, with Griezmann, I mean, well, well, he, like, well, he's still pretty much in the prime of his career. He's kind of like on the, he, he's on the potential downturn now in terms of age. Mm. Um, and it, it's it's quite. I mean, I suppose they're not really upstarts anymore. Uh, Atletico, given the twice champions in the last seven years, but this, I think, we've said this on the pod before. But it's it's one thing I've always felt that, but this kind of, or what, I think, or felt a lot recently. This kind of era of Spanish football and what it's what La Liga has become. Which is there is really the potential for someone to do what Atletico did in 2014, but playing a style of football that is kind of alien to Spain right now, which is something kind of more, more volatile, more 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 German, I suppose. Just just tell us you put a tenor on Sevilla. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder though if there isn't a case, an argument, um, for to suggest that Atleti isn't doing or isn't grabbing hold of the opportunity that they've got here with the other two main players in Spanish uh, football faltering, yeah, this I mean, is the time for them, isn't it? I mean, they they won the league and I yeah. just wonder whether they lost they, a little bit of the passion after winning the league because th- that would have been the ultimate goal, to win the league and to do one over on Barcelona and Real Madrid. Now that Real, Real Madrid and Barcelona are floundering, it gives Atletico surely an opportunity to raise its game but, and its and, 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 do, and do something historic. Well, I think no, because no Spanish club outside Barca or Madrid has retained the title, I think, since Bilbao in 84. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a long time ago. So, I mean, that would genuinely be a historic landmark. It, it would, but th- there's still that Champions League itch to scratch. Yeah, yeah. And that, in terms of them building as a team, I mean, they feel further away from that than ever. I mean, you know, you go back to the way they were knocked out by Chelsea. Chelsea, who obviously went on to win the Champions League and deserved it, they were so far behind Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. Particularly in that um, second leg at Stamford Bridge. Tactically, physically, quality-wise, in every way and we've seen with their poor start to this season's Champions League they knew, need some yeah. new ideas in that but my, and again my, my, my worry is that this, and this is a bigger football issue that right, he's not Mourinho but he is kind of Mourinho 3.0 Simeone's approach is a little bit now it's just not I mean the kind of the emotion he engenders and the emotional response and emotional intensity of a team will always have a fighting chance but but he's just he's he's quite far from the cutting edge now. I think he is, but there's there's a lot of what he does that works, and the rest what he needs and what he had arguably when the first great Atletico team mm. of, of of this decade you go back to like between 2012 and 14 was there. He had players of the personality to interpret his instructions yeah, yeah. to their own ends. I think he has that again. A different set of players. A, generally younger set of players with different ideas and a different way of interpreting that. But I don't think he can do it on his own. And because we have this mm. idea of him as this, you know, alpha hard man, 
we think that it's it's his players following him like robots. That has never been the mm. case. And remember, like he had a checkered coaching career before he arrived yeah, at yeah, Atletico yeah. Madrid, and more than one person advised Enrique Cerezo, the, the 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 president of Atletico. Look, I know he's got this connection with the club. Don't take him. He's he's not a good coach. Mm. Loads of people said that yeah. to him. Now he's he's proved that emphatically wrong. But I don't think the idea that he can do it on his own and it just works to the orders of Simeone is correct. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This week, there's been loads going on across Stack. Over on the Luke and Pete show, I'm telling Luke about why my hairstyle has been bothering children. When she says, why have you got your hair like that? Yeah. Why have you got your uh, hair in a ponytail? We've been told that we're not to talk to men who have ponytails. <laughs> Good parents. And the, yeah, but that wasn't the parents. They didn't say that. Right. She'd just been told at school or something never to trust a man with a ponytail. <laughs> Meanwhile, the book club is back with a cracker on Football Ramble Presents. Kit and Jim were joined by Simon Cooper to talk about his new book, Delving into the Heart of Barcelona Football Club and what its legends were really like. Johan Krauf, in, in my humble opinion, he's the kind of Freud or Marx or Einstein of football. He invented modern football, but he was also a lunatic. Krauf was a guy who walks into a room and says, you're doing it all wrong, you should do, it. You should do what I say. Listen to the Luke and Pete Show and Football Ramble Presents every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk now about an old friend who has done the rounds across Europe by now, uh, Super Mario Balotelli. He is in Turkey. Who knew? You knew, Andy. You knew, clearly. Yeah, of course. He uh, sends me a text every time he moves across. Is he doing well, though? He's, he's done all right. He had a difficult start. He's uh, signed for 
um, Adana Demirspor, who were promoted in the summer. They've made some really weird and wonderful signings, including um, Eunice Belanda. Um, they've now got um, Vincenzo Montella as, as as their coach, which is interesting because, well, you could argue that Mario's seen off a coach already three games into the season. <laughs> um, but the last couple of games under Montella, um, Balotelli has, has, has really fired. He scored his, his his first goal from the penalty spot as they won the first game of the season against uh, Rizospor last weekend. Berkey Bjarnason, another familiar name from um, Iceland, Aston Villa, mm. Basel, etc. scored in that game as well. And then where it really kicked off is this midweek where they go to the champions, Bajiktash away. Demir Sport are 3-0 down. It could have been four. A goal in between goals two and three was rather controversially disallowed for what looked like a non-existent foul on the goalkeeper. And then Balotelli comes on a sub. Um, and um, he inspires this comeback, scores a brilliant second goal, sets up the the last gasp equaliser from Brit Sombolonga. That's right, Brit Sombolonga, who, who, <laughs> who, who knocks, it, knocks it in on, on, on the line. But there's been a lot of focus, and you've probably seen it on the socials, of um, Balotelli having a word with uh, Sergen Yalcin, the, 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 the coach of, of, of Bajiktas, who um, had, had um, said he had no brain when he was a pundit. Uh, Yalcin said, well, uh, you, you know, it, it was after that, you know, that flick he did for Manchester City where he tried to back heel it in in that preseason. Oh, yes, game. yes, yeah, yes. It, in Los and Angeles, I think it didn't was. work out, yeah, and it, it didn't work out, <laughs> but it's a preseason game, but I, I don't think it's any particular big deal. But any, anyway, he looked over towards the touchline, Balotelli, and, 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 and pointed to his head saying, You think I had no brain? <laughs> look, look at that. And, and Yalcin had a word about it afterwards, and he goes, Well, this just shows what kind of guy he is and you know that that's that's why Bajiktash wouldn't would have wanted to sign him and he was, <laughs> he was just disappointed because Bajiktash didn't sign him and yeah. there's been focus on Balotelli for this I think it's all on Yalcin he, he looks an idiot for, for getting involved <laughs> with this especially after Balotelli's comeback played so well inspired his team against the best and at the moment in terms of what they did in the transfer market arguably best-backed team this summer. You know, they've got in players like Mishi Batswai, Bajiktash, and uh, Alex Teixeira, who came back from China. Um, and it's, it's a great comeback. And, you know, Balotelli always has this flush, doesn't he, when he first yeah, arrives yeah. at club, where he is absolutely flying, and you have this what-if moment of, like, yeah. you know, he could have been absolutely oh, anything he he wanted to be the power with which he hits the shot against Bajiktas like the power the dip totally does the yeah. goalkeeper it's it's not far from straight at him mm. but the goalkeeper's still not saving it yeah. because it's just such a clean hit of the ball and i can't think of many people who can hit the ball as as cleanly as 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 Mario Balotelli he, he, he should have a Peter keep it up. He should have a Peter Lorimer catalogue of kind of these long range strikes. Yes. Well. There's only I'm about like kind that. of five or six of them. But I, we, I mean, one of the most electric moments I've ever been in was for a stay in a stadium was the Euro 2012 semi final, which is basically Malatelli, Balotelli's career moment. Yeah, and especially that, the the, the so half when he volley. scored that incredible goal. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was just about I, I, to but, say. but but also kind of a poacher's header. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, that, and that again, that was you're right. Every at every even at Liverpool. Um, and even on moments that were kind of Marseille, there's always been moments where like you just think, okay, oh, there is something and maybe this is finally it. Mm. And then it kind of just, 
it peters out. I suppose the, the one club that didn't really peter out maybe was given what well, he had three and a bit seasons there was Nice, where there was. I don't, I don't think he realised what he had there. Yeah, and you remember like before that, before he went to Marseille, he came back that last summer expecting to get a move. He didn't get it. He hadn't trained. He let himself really get out of shape. And I, I think some of um, the criticisms of him, I, I think, are built around assumption and, and, and prejudice. But on, mm. on on that occasion, he really let himself down. I think that, that that's he, one he, thing that's always been said. He, he, basically, his perception doesn't help help him. But then from that, he doesn't help himself either. It's, yeah. almost, it's almost kind of like the two almost become kind of, it's a bit of a negative cycle. But you, are we agreed that this is like his last chance in... In European football, pop. I mean, or to be MLS next or something, or yeah, yeah, or, I, or, I or Far that, East. Yeah, yeah. I could see MLS actually, and, and doing him doing well there. And the point that you make, Andy, is a really important one. That a lot of the criticism of Balotelli, you've got to be a little bit wary of where it's coming from, or, or and I'm not saying that it's intentionally um, racist against him, but there is. You know the because when you were talking about him being unfit, I was thinking of uh, Ron Atkinson. <laughs> Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because that, that is one of mm. the um, criticisms that's labelled often uh, with uh, black players who don't quote unquote conform, whatever that means. With Mario Balotelli, you knew from the start the incredible goals that he can score. You know, on that twenty twelve uh, European Championships, there were two goals that were similar that I thought were incredible. One uh, was by um, Ibrahimovic, because he did Mm. more or less the same thing for Sweden. Mm. He did more or less the same thing. But when you put them together, you suddenly see the athleticism of Balotelli to score in the way that he scored. So people knew and know what he can do, but they also know that he's idiosyncratic. Mm. And that idiosyncraticism, for me, comes from the fact that I can understand that he was a fish out of water. I remember you were the first person that ever mentioned Balotelli to me. You know? Right, okay. So you were the very first person that mentioned Balotelli to me. I never heard of Balotelli. And you were saying, um, when we were talking on the BBC, and you were saying that, um, you know, um, he, he's crying out for a Mancini to come and, you know, save him and take him to Manchester City or something like that in it, any case. It's, it's funny and, though, where, where, we were, where you were saying before that it's, it's not all bound up with racist assumptions. I think that you you can't talk about the career of Mario Balotelli w- without talking about racism because it's something he's had to deal with mm. since he was virtually a child, really, in, in Italian football. And it was something that he found deeply shocking and confusing because as someone close to him put it to me years ago, He's the most Italian bloke you can imagine. Like, except he isn't. That that's it. So when when he faced this in stadiums, he, he just didn't get it at all. And all of a sudden, because he's a rare black player in Italy, it's like as a teenager, you have to be on the front line fighting back. And at this point, he's still just an Italian teenager yeah, yeah. who is hoping to spend all the money he's got on flash trainers and pizza and video <laughs> games. And all of a sudden, you're in this beyond adult world where not only... Young footballers are in that world anyway, aren't they? You know, you're expected mm. to conform to certain standards of 
professionalism and maturity when it's, it's, it's not intrinsic, when you need to be taught those things. On top of that, he's expected to fight back against this tide of prejudice that he simply doesn't understand. I think you are absolutely right to take it back to him playing in Italy as an Italian. Because the joke is, if if you're a black guy growing up somewhere, you know, you, you are wherever you're growing up. You know, I, I'm a Cockney, you know. Mm. I, I might try and act as if I'm an African, <laughs> but I'm a Cockney, essentially, a North London Cockney. And at the end of the day, that's how I define myself to myself. Mm. But then... Beyond that, you're being defined by the wider society as just being another foreign footballer. That must trip you up. Mm. Imagine that. He's an Italian, Mm. but people probably regard him in the same way as they regard all the other footballers coming from Africa or anywhere else around the world that they're coming from. But I mean, also, to to go, I suppose, beyond football and quite deep, I mean, to have your identity questioned like that is quite psychologically jarring and, and, and can, can really have a profound effect on people. And I, I think... Especially at such a vulnerable age. It's, yeah, it's, kind, yeah. of, it's kind of why Mancini is, is such an important figure in his, his career, I think. Mm. Because he, he gave him a pass for a, a, mm. a lot of that stuff mm. Mm. and he believed in the best of him. Uh, and he's continued to believe yeah, in the yeah. best of him. Mm. I think what's the interesting thing about this current flush of form by Bar- Balotelli, and it's not yet a season mm. or a half season, mm. but if he can continue to do something here, I don't think... He can the, get into the World Cup. I don't think the door is completely shut yeah, for yeah. Italy. Because if you think the one thing that this Italian team has lacked is a centre-forward. And for yeah, that reason, if you, right. if, if you go back to the start of when Mancini takes charge and he's happy to try out all sorts yeah, of different yeah, players, yeah. as we've talked about before. He calls up huge squads so he can have a look at loads of different players. He leaves the door open for Balotelli to come back. It's not the right moment, and it doesn't happen. But you think, Shiro Immobile, who's incredible in Serie yeah. A, in the domestic game, never completely clicked. And the focus of quite a lot of ire at home, they don't have that line mm. leader. Mm-hmm. If you get... A consistent, and I realise it's an if. If you get a consistent tune out of Balotelli, I, I that, think that, that will be one of the great World Cup redemption stories. Imagine, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Imagine. I, I, I wouldn't put it beyond Balotelli to have looked at those Euros and thought I should have been there. Mm. They did lack a leader, and he is a natural leader on the pitch. Chiesa, I think, took a lot of his uh, steam. You know, it represented. Italy as Balotelli, almost, but he's he's always needed that Balotelli, some sort of creative foil, and without wanting to like infantilize him, I think that sort of player with whom there's a technical connection, I think is is really important because there was a point with Italy when you had this nascent partnership between him and Stephen El Shirawi mm. that really seemed as if it could be something. Now, we all know what happened with El Shirawi and um, injuries. Now he's making a bit of a comeback with Roma and there's been some interesting stuff from him in the first couple of weeks of the season. But I think I, I can see Balotelli and Chiesa working. As long as Chiesa gets to conduct the orchestra, as he's made very clear that he likes to do, if he was holding a big neon sign saying, I'm the technical leader of this team, he could not make it any, <laughs> sure. any more obvious. Sure, sure. And I know Nicky Bandini's talked about, you know, maybe that's one hmm. of the minor downsides to Enrico Chiesa, that, that he needs to be the leader. But I think that could work. Wait and see. 
So we have a tweet here from Graham. Um, what are your thoughts on the Europa Conference League? Uh, will we see a competition dominated by big clubs who had poor domestic seasons and missed out on the Champions uh, League? Or will we see a competition where clubs from less reputable nations with a European trophy like the Football League trophy? Uh, your thoughts, uh, Miguel, first of all, on this, uh, on this uh, Champions okay. Ma- or Conference, European Conference. Maybe I'm slightly conditioned here, but having started my journalism career covering Irish clubs in Europe, uh, which would invariably end in July, sometimes <laughs> August, and a very, very, very odd time to make it. Shamrock Rovers once made it into Europa League, uh, the, the group stage, and, and then Doc did follow that, to be fair. But it does feel like that the Europa, given we've got the Champions League and, and Europa League, and we see all these kind of clubs from the kind of top 10 to 12 leagues all the time. It feels like the Europa Conference really should have been a European competition for, say, the, the federations from 25 to 55 and to actually give them a proper chance at European football. Did it feel to you that's what it was sold as? Yeah, that, that, that's initially what I thought it was going to be. It felt to me. And, and then you see the first round of matches and we all love to see great matches in Europe. But then you see something like Wren versus Tottenham. Yeah. Two clubs who are absolutely uh, swimming your, that, that, in money. That's your Europa League match. Yeah. Exactly. At, at, at worst, I, I guess Champions League at, at a push. And you see that and you're like, really? Is yeah. that really who this competition yeah. is for? Like like Wren who went out and spent like tens of millions on players this season versus one of the richest clubs in world football. Yeah. And, I, and I just, I'm just looking through the groups now and really, okay, bar maybe a Basel. Um, it's hard not to see a situation where we have it's basically a Roma Tottenham final and that's kind of mm. that and then it's just another Europa League where 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 it sh- it shouldn't really be that you're, forget, about, you're forgetting the teams that are going to fall out of the Europa League well yeah I yeah, mean, of course, that's, yeah. That's, that's again yeah part of it, yeah it? but like I mean and and really what this should be of course I mean because it could be a way for UEFA to dre- redress the balance in other ways in that like suddenly whatever about clubs of the kind of um, the size of it like in Ireland the Northern Ireland or, or any of the kind of the, the really kind of bottom 20 federations also chance for like some great European names like Red Star Belgrade or Partizan Belgrade mm. to actually have a chance of European silverware again and with the potential effect that can have um, but it, it just because of the way it's been in, in, in this and you wait for like this with almost everything at the moment where it's this kind of this strange I mean I could go on on another tangent about this completely with kind of Chefren's very superficial response to what actually happened with the Super League in the end but but this just feels like the same sort of thing where it's almost like trying to play both sides and one side here's a here's a bit to the small clubs but really kind of still most of that cloud and the power is with the big leagues and big power and as we can basically see and that's because of the television revenue I'd have thought it was is it you know the big clubs are the ones that bring in the the revenue so Mm. it suggests to me that this competition is about the money rather than the you know well I mean to be be, the one thing I would say for UEFA is they're looking UEFA are caught in two stools here but but I do do think it's why there, there are fair questions growing about Sheffron um, given he 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 basically sees himself as some as was put to me by someone who works like in these circles top level of football he sees himself as a Robin Hood figure um, where I think anyone looking from the outside can that how can he see that because mm-hmm. European football has a huge problem with the amount of money it makes still there's a, a distortive amount of that goes to the top clubs and the and the big issue is really and what what football need, we've again we've discussed this on the, on the pod so much 
it needs a mass redistribution of resources. And Europa Conference, I suppose, in principle, is it, that that's what like what it could be. But again, it's not going to fully be. And you you, you can even see it with the kind of the proposals to the Champions League, where it's been discussed that UEFA might get rid of this um, these coefficient uh, entries. Basically, these already prize money is allocated along these lines. Where so say. Real Madrid are going to finish tenth in the, in the Spanish league. They'd still get into the cha- into the Champions League by virtue of the previous five years' performance. So that's going that's likely to come in after twenty twenty four. UEFA have talked about getting rid of that, but no one has actually done it yet. Because and again, this kind of just it just conditions this situation where no matter what's done, no matter what measures are made elsewhere, there's still there's such a ma- critical mass of money mm. going towards the top end. And again, it just feels like the Europa League is part of the same process where there's a good idea there, but it's just it's it's too compromised by all the forces around it. Also, the Conference League needs its own um, anthem. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's got the Europa League anthem at the moment. I mean, come on. The Europa League changed that. Do you remember Europa League? When it, when it, I remember this when I was at the... Uh, the that final in Dublin between Braga and Porto, yes, and it had a deafening. The one that was written by it was a friend of Michel Platini or something like that. Uh, it was a bit too jaunty, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Although the current one dun, dun, only dun. sounds good in wind and driving rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true, actually. So like, like the original one was a bit close to Game of Thrones as well. <laughs> you lot are going off on a tangent, yeah, so yeah. I, I won't introduce my the Europa League theme. Yeah. <laughs> Although I've always wondered whether Robin Hood saw himself as a Robin Hood figure or whether he saw himself (laughs) as a thieving git, which is what he was. (laughs) It's that time, gentlemen, when I ask both of you uh, to suggest a game of the week for us. And then we'll go through some of the uh, tweets that have been coming into us at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adebayo, at Andy Brassel and at Miguel Delaney. You can tweet us anytime. Uh, during the week, and we'll try and go through uh, the tweets and try and choose the ones uh, worth talking about. So, um, let's talk about games of the week as well. There's a lot to choose from this week. I think it's a cracking week. Best week so far of the season, I'd have thought, in terms of the possibility of games. I'm I'm going um, Saturday tea time. I'm going to go for uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach against Borussia Dortmund. Now, um, it's Marco Rosa, of course, going back to his former club, uh, going back to Gladbach. Um, He's so far kept his promise not to nick any of their players. (laughs) I I know that promise is not worth the paper it's not written on. (laughs) So I, I would... <laughs> I, I, I would like him to go back on that promise in the near future. Uh, I think the club can sign him, not me. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. not a sporting director. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, and uh, Dortmund, have, Dortmund have been fun so far this season. Uh, they attacking wise are terrific. Um, obviously, we know about Erling Haaland and an, another mm. brace, an incredible goal by him to seal the but win. He's not going to be there long. Union Berlin last weekend. No, no, he's no, he's not. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they'll have someone lined up but Jude Bellingham really is, is, has yeah. been the star of the show so far he's been absolutely fantastic defensively they're still a dumpster fire and you look at that game against Union last weekend as a case in point they're 3-0 up absolutely hammering them and then they concede two very cheap goals one from um, a set piece and it takes a bit of magic and it was real magic from Holland to, to seal the deal mm. so I think that is asking for trouble. I couldn't predict what this game is is going to be. Uh, Gladbach just about getting there under Adi Hütter. But if you look at Lars Stindl, 
the the captain, the striker who's not really a striker. To to me, his movement is far too smart for Dortmund's current defence. I, I think there's goals in this one. Well, it's an evenly matched game, as you say, and that's that always keeps the interest up. Uh, it'll be a last minute winner, I, I suspect. <laughs> uh, Miguel, uh, what are you going to offer in match that? I mean, I was going to go for a Paris Saint Germain, in spite of myself. I now find it so compelling to see how this gun is working because it always feels like they're on the brink yeah. of like the sort of disaster that they really kind of <laughs> going against everything they want. But I'm quite intrigued at the moment. I'm going to go for Real Madrid and Villarreal. Um, it was Villarreal, I suppose, whether they can, I mean, whether they can not draw a game, but I suppose the likelihood is they get beaten. But beyond that, I suppose Madrid have been quite interesting in how they've okay, trying to kind of build themselves back up again as they kind of very much embark it actually it doesn't even feel like they're into a new project yet, does it? It feels like, I mean, that'll only be signaled to Mbappe signing, but it's like they're clearing everything out for a new era. And But yeah, are kind of kind of are keeping it together in spite of that with, with Benzema mm. suddenly, you know, it's, he, he, he's, he's suddenly becoming what we felt he was going to be around 07, 08, where now he's the one we're all the focus on rather than kind of the support act to a Ronaldo or or a Higuain or someone, and and, and we're, we're seeing what he really is. The, the, I think the amazing thing from the job that Ancelotti has done so far is we were talking about various dead weights mm. before, like players who have drastically underachieved in the, the last couple of seasons. He got something out of Bale before he got injured. You have Marco Asensio scoring a hat trick against uh, his his hometown club, Mallorca, in the week. Even Isco scored in that and all these players who were just completely excluded under Zidane and that's fine he can make his choices on who he wants in his team but in an era when money is so tight devaluing assets like that is, is mm. not good for the club and that's something that I think Florentino Perez will be very happy with about what Ancelotti's doing so far This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 